0: There's not a person who is of color in the United States who doesn't experience some form of racism every day. And as a white person, you go, what are you talking about? No.
1: Welcome to Varvet International. This is Christoph Triumph talking to you. Varvet is back the fall of 2016 to share with you some interviews that I've recorded earlier, but not released. Until now, I'm very happy to tell you that my guest this time is the great, super funny actor David Kickner. David started doing improv comedy in the mid-80s in Chicago, and this would later take him to Saturday Night Live in '95. And since then, he has appeared in movies such as Wag the Dog, Anchorman, Thank You for Smoking, The 40-Year-Old Virgin. David also starred in the American version of the TV series The Office. I loved that show, as you might know. Uh, by now, as well as literally hundreds of other shows. And in 2010, he started to work with stand-up comedy. Well, let's just start the interview, because I really like this talk. It's recorded in West Hollywood. Roll the tape, please. So, how are you today? I'm good. I'm glad to hear. What what have you been up to so far?
0: Today? Yeah. Today I got up at uh, 6 o'clock. I like to write 750 words. So I type it on my computer so I can keep track of the words. Just let the, everything vomit out, right? Kind of helps you organize your day a little bit. Like what's going on? What you sleep with? What have you been avoiding? Any of that stuff. And then halfway through that, I might I might find something that I need to think about or release and then uh, I'll try and organize my day. Like if I still have words left, I'll start talking about the writing that I need to do for the rest of the day. And like, what do you, what do I want to write first? What do I want to organize? And then I uh, go for a run, about a mile and a quarter. And then we've got some weights in the uh, in the garage, so I do that. And then I got the boys up because they've got this class this morning. Got them ready. then I jumped in the shower because I had this disappointment. And, and they, they go to Second City? This week they're doing a concentrated course. They'd never taken an improv class before. So this week my oldest boy who's 16 and my youngest boy who's 9 decided, yeah, they'd do it. And so they're taking a, what they call a concentrated course. So it's, it's five days, six hours a day. Fantastic. Yeah. How do they like it? Well, Charlie liked it. He's the oldest boy. Sergeant said, I don't like it. But he's back again today.
1: <laughs> okay. And it's the second day only? Today is day two. Okay, all right, Cool.
0: Did you sort of trick them into this? No, I think I might have bribed Charlie. I might have told <laughs> Charlie I'll give him 100 bucks. Is that how you do it? No, not normally. <laughs> but, you know, just to encourage him to do something different that may have... I forgot, I forgot what the arrangement was. I probably said it offhand. Yeah. and he heard it and he goes yeah I'll do it and I okay but that's not typically how we how we encourage someone to do something but I think it's important to try new things you know he plays a lot of basketball he's into that he's gonna be in the choir this year which is fun so we, we're like you know dude get on stage a little bit yeah. try that out
1: yeah, yeah. what does he uh,
0: his mother do for a living she's a charismatic okay <laughs> So, my wife, I'm fortunate enough to to say, doesn't have to work, but she's been, for the last two years, getting her master's in spiritual psychology. Okay. And she's almost graduated. She'll graduate at the end of August. So, at, at that point, the second year of the program, you had to do a project. And the project she did was a series of talks about relationship Your relationship to yourself, your relationship with uh, your spouse or significant other, your relationship with your children, your relationship to the world, that kind of thing. It's a five-part series she put together, and she did these hour-long talks. That was her project. So now she's going to continue doing this. It's It's seeking your own personal spirituality and living a fully realized life, that type of thing. So now she started doing them. She found a space within a couple miles of the house, and she's going to do them once a month. And then people keep coming up to her saying, "Can I talk to you?" And so I think she's going to start taking clients. Oh, wow! Yeah, she's a very empowering woman, and she's very strong, and and fun, and funny. So that's why I say charismatic because she is. Yeah, and at the same time, she's developing with a production company an idea of a possible show for TV for television. Yeah, all right. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I just have to say that. The sound that you're hearing is someone vacuuming the corridor outside. Yes, it's yeah. a
0: very pleasant, high-pitched
1: whine. Yeah, I'm not crazy about it, yeah. let's say, but, well, if you like I it, could just, I'm happy could for just,
0: you. I could just hum over it. Mm-hmm. We'll make a symphony out yeah. of it. Yeah,
1: well, someone can probably make some kind of music out of, of this. Of course,
0: these days. As you mentioned it, now the vacuuming is getting closer. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, it's part of our experience, folks. It was over at the elevators
1: yes. when it started, but I guess it's going to pass now. Yeah. And Here's what we can say. Whoever
0: it is is doing a very thorough job.
1: Yes. And I'm happy for the tenants of this uh, building. I'd like to start with saying like three words, and I would like you to sort of r- respond okay. with your
0: reaction to it. Curiosity. Essential. For me personally, I am very curious. I uh, love discovering new things. I'm constantly reading new books. I always feel a little bit behind, like I should have read a, you know, 10,000 books by now, that type of thing. But I'm curious how things work. I'm curious how relationships come together, fall apart. I'm curious why movie or a television show works or doesn't work. I'm curious why they build roads the way they do. I'm curious why people drive the way they do. And I hope that my children will be endlessly curious. I think one of the greatest gifts I can give them is a desire to read.
1: I've read up on you the last couple of days, and of course, I know your work since forever. And I must say that you strike me as a really, really curious person. Oh, good. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you. I think we're the same, perhaps, in, in that way. But I'm also wondering
0: is there a price of uh, curiosity? Does uh, it yeah. cost anything? No. I mean, unless you're curious to a fault where you become obsessive, that yeah. would be the only <laughs> yeah. cost. Or if you're so curious, you're never satisfied. But I find satisfaction in curiosity. If that makes any sense. What would you say is the contrary of curiosity? Fear. Fear of new things, or what would it be? There's something better than that. I was thinking perhaps... Dullness. Yeah, perhaps. And I was also thinking perhaps egoism. Yeah, narcissism, self-satisfaction. Yeah. Is it solipsistic? Is that the right word, too? Probably is. Yeah. This is your language more than mine. I know, I know.
1: Yeah. And I'm thinking perhaps that if you look at the people that sort of get, I mean, like Leonardo DiCaprio or... Tom Cruise or someone like that.
0: I'm not sure that they are as curious as you are. I don't know, man. I, I would... You don't get to be number one at the box office by not having a very highly attuned drive to know more. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah and they're problem solvers. Plus, you know, these guys are executive producers. They're hands... Look, you, you, they're working with the best people in, the, in their fields, constantly you don't get there by being a dullard i've never met somebody successful in show business that's not fascinating or endlessly curious i would say they probably read more than i do if you double your reading <laughs> you would be double successful Oh, well, i'm not saying that's the thing maybe yeah maybe maybe because then you're completely out of your head and completely free perhaps that might be the ticket to freedom if you were able to devote all of your time and energy to the one goal of ultimate success then there's probably the best chance to getting there you know it, there's only so much in life you can do i do have a wife and five kids so i've got to tend to that garden as well yes and you seem to be a very good uh, caring father i'm i'm trying that's my intention so yeah. that's as, <laughs> as much as always working on patience that's the thing next word fame Halfway there. (laughs) (laughs) Recognizable. And I'm assuming you're saying these words as they apply to me or how I feel about it. Yeah, I guess. Well, part of me feels like that is such a narcissistic thing. But if you think about it as just another career tool, then it doesn't become about you. There's nothing wrong with being famous. But if that's all you want, that doesn't seem like really a goal it seems a little bit empty and shallow to me Mm. i could be better if i could be completely who free whoever i am as an artist then fame comes anyway if you just chase fame then what are you really after you know if you uh, fame are you want to be more well known notorious what Uh, lauded loved loved yeah but that none of that you know that's all self-love That's the only way to get love. So, to me, I have a certain level of fame that is helpful. I don't wrestle with it. Part of me feels like some days, oh, if I was more famous, you know, then just money comes easier.
1: Yeah.
0: That's the the upside of that. If you're really famous, then you get more free stuff, and then you're going to get more money.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. When I started out doing the podcast, I was one of the one of the objectives was to get more entertaining mail. I mean, in the mailbox, right? Not the electronic one, right. but the physical one. Yeah, and it
0: worked. People uh, started you, writing you.
1: Well, yeah, and invite me to stuff and so forth. Nice. Yeah, that's super. I don't go. Ah! <laughs> but, <laughs>
0: You don't go?
1: No, but I love having the invites. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah.
0: <laughs> how are you with that? So, do you go to premieres and stuff? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I know the person yeah. or if it's an exciting film. But my wife and I do have five kids. Yeah. So going out's always a big deal. Not, not not a huge deal, but we have so many activities every day to be at home with nothing to do is a goal. Mm. So, how young is the youngest one? 4. Okay. All yeah. right.
1: The sixteen-year-old mm-hmm. should be a very good babysitter by now.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We can, we can. And he and his is the next. The oldest girl is thirteen, so they can handle. Him. That's good. All right. Next word: death. That's where we're all headed. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, embrace it. Do you think about death? No, not really. I think about how long I need to live because I want to see my daughter's grandkids or my, my daughter's kids, my youngest daughter, so she's four. Okay. So figure by 34, she's probably having her first or second. Yes. So I'll be 53 this year. So I need to live to at least 83, Yeah, but which that, is doable.
1: Yes, it is. Absolutely. Do you, you know,
0: take care of yourself? Not enough. I drink too much. You still do? I feel like I'm at the doctor's office. Okay. Yeah, and I often eat Poorly. So, but those things can change immediately if you make the decision.
1: Yeah, because I heard you on Marilyn, you had like a, white,
0: a year off. Yeah. 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 How did that work out for you? It was great. You? Yeah. Here's the weird thing I made incredible progress, felt so good. Not drinking for a year. And I'm like, I'm doing great. So I started drinking again. I know this. I know I have friends of mine who don't drink and they're very successful. Are the two related? Probably Perhaps. Yeah, Yeah, but I enjoy it.
1: I've been sober for eleven years. Good for you, man. Thank you. If I had one beer, I couldn't stop. Right? Can you stop? No. All right. We're the same guy. We probably are. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I mean, I can go days, weeks, whatever. Yeah. yeah. But you know, if I'm drinking, I'm drinking. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I was the same, but the problem for me was that I had to do blow as well.
0: Ooh. Yeah. Well, those days are over. Yeah. Because I can't. I mean, I can't take that chance. that's uh 52 insightful. you get that's yeah. not that's not smart but, but i understand that when i was younger i was the same way yeah yeah if we're discussing
1: angst sort of i have many friends who are obsessed with death ah it might have to do with the fact that they've sort of experienced it i've never oh did they come close or something probably they have like dead parents or oh. lost a parent at early age or something like that yeah with my own relation to death, it's sort of probably because I've never experienced it, or I'm just too stupid to understand the concept that I'm going to die someday. Right, right. What I am worried about is that my son is going to sort of die before I do.
0: Oh, that would be awful. Yes. Yeah. That's the worst. That's the worst fate to lose a child. Yeah. Do you believe in fate? Yeah, I kind of have to. In that, my wife and I met in an airport. And things do happen for a reason. So, yeah. But you can control your fate to a degree, I believe. You can call it out, make it happen. We are an instrument that has a tuning system. I do believe that. And we can tune our bodies and our minds or just accept whatever comes to us. And there's all these distractions we have, whether they're the electronics or the booze or the coke or the weed or our own Choices of poor eating and chemical imbalance that can get in the way of your tuning, your instrument. I believe that. Yes. Yeah. And so, that's we're talking about enlightenment, right? Where you can get to. Because honestly, what I think oftentimes is this could be a really advanced video game. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, what's life? It's so imperfect. Where's this machine that's on this ball in this place, in this space, with millions and billions of other things in this area? And on this planet, we can show, we can prove it started. We know this thing started. It hasn't always been in existence. This thing, this globe started. And then we can tell, we've discovered that organisms started. And we can show the timeline between that organism and where we are now. How is that not a super advanced video game? And how, adva- you know, and some guy goes, here's this game I'm starting. Let to see what happens. Well, of course, why not? It sounds like you're talking about Gat now. Well, sure. Yeah. Or whatever that is. This could be a game. He could be playing somebody else on another galaxy. And he goes, look how well mine did. And he goes, mine, early, he goes, like, these things keep breaking down at 35. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, look, they're they're learning to fix themselves. Wow, what are yours doing? Mine, mine just learned to uh, build a gun. Uh-oh, that's not going to be good. I mean, really, it's ridiculous how we're more interested in... Tearing everything up, tearing our own bodies down, tearing our world apart as opposed to always building it up. Why wouldn't we, why do we choose that over the other? It's interesting, yeah. right? If yeah. our choice are two, two choices, yeah. take over more or grow more, it seems to be to take more things over. And I guess, you know, why are we so naturally inclined to war as to naturally inclined to building an amazing civilization, a world, global civilization? Fear? Perhaps fear. And it goes back to mortality. Exactly. I've got to get more before I die. Yeah. So, anyway. I don't think about things.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You obviously do. I I mean, that's so interesting. Before I really start the interview, I would also like to discuss something else that you said to Pete Holmes in his podcast Mm -hmm. that you work with making your kids proud of themselves instead of you being proud of them. Right. How do you achieve that?
0: Well, you simply praise what they're doing and then mention, I hope you're as proud of yourself as I am. So you can let them know that, yes, I'm proud of you, but that's not the most important thing. You being proud of you is just as important. At least, you know, recognize that you're accomplishment. And when you recognize you have an accomplishment, then you can always draw on that thing, something good. You know, if we focus on the best, thing that's ever happened to us that can help us get to the next best thing. If we focus on all the bad stuff that happened to us, we're probably going to get more of that or have less self-worth.
1: I interviewed a Swedish children's author, and she said that she wanted to take the word pride out of the dictionary Uh because it's sort of always about achievement Mm -hmm. and not being you understand mm-hmm. what of I'm course. saying. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Do you resonate with that?
0: As oh, well? absolutely. We don't focus enough on being. It's always about doing. How did you do? How did you I mean, so you now we can't start removing words that to describe something. It's okay to be proud.
1: Well, I feel pride all the time with my right. kid, but one part of me feels that perhaps I need to make him understand that he is loved even though he, even if he doesn't achieve. Of course.
0: Yes. No matter what
1: you're loved. Exactly. Number
0: 1, you're loved. Yeah. And, you know, the best way we can show our children love is to love ourselves uh, to the point where it's just now we're the being, like yeah. she's talking about. If mm. I love myself, that I'm fine right here, and I can just sit with you and be with you, love myself, then I have the ability to give you some love. If I don't really love myself, I r- really can't love you. So you do uh, love yourself? Not enough. Then I wouldn't drink. <laughs> uh-huh. <Yeah. laughs> You're closer to it than I am. But I think she's right in terms of you know the word pride and all that stuff. But how do we get to just truly living in the moment, clear right here, without all of our distractions that we bring into it, all our anxieties, all our resistance? Because none of that exists if we don't put it there. You know, you should be able to scream in my face, and I should be able to not take it on on any chemical or cellular or emotional level and realize. That person's really angry. And if even if I said that person's really angry with me, then I don't need to take on shame or more anxiety or, or match his or her anger. That's where I would love to be. But then I also sometimes think: Then where am I going to be as an actor if I yeah, don't exactly. have access to all those things?
1: Yeah, you, 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 because you are—you seem to be a very, very sensitive person as well. Oh, I am, yeah. And what, what comes with that? Is it self-hatred?
0: <laughs> 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 I'm not sure why I re- read that into it. But no, I don't hate me. I, I, um, but like you said, I'm curious, but I do want more, and I, I think I often. Feel like I'm... It's probably some lower self-worth. I could have more self-worth. But then that's a choice you make every second anyway, you know. I am enough. When I look at my accomplishments, what I've got. i got a wife, cars, kids, career. It's great. Yeah. You've been... Yeah. You've achieved uh, a lot Right. Oh, great right. stuff, yeah. So what's the greatest achievement, you know? My kids talking to me when they're older. Stuff like that. You know, having a, a good family, good friends... An enjoyable community, a clan that is doing good for others. Maybe that would be the goal. That's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, you know Eckhart Tolle? Yeah. Yeah. He had a statement that resonates with me is he says, you don't own your children. They are not, you've heard this. Yeah. They're not your children. Well, your I kids. heard you say it. <laughs> oh, really? <Yeah>. Oh, okay. <laughs> I blathered about that no, in another no, podcast. That's fine. But it is true. Yeah. And we you know, like my kid, they're not yours. They're a person that's in your care. Yeah. And your job is to make sure they don't get hurt or hurt somebody else.
1: Yes, that's fantastic.
0: Yeah. Does it take a little bit of the pressure off?
1: No, not really.
0: Well, the problem is when I have my want and need and what they're doing is impeding me from getting it. Yeah. Whether it's getting out of the house to an appointment and I can't go because this one won't get dressed or this one's throwing a temper tantrum or somebody just broke something and won't clean it up Mm or… Simple things. Come to dinner, now brush your teeth. Those types of things can get frustrating. Yeah. But you know, amping up the tension's not gonna help it. It never does.
1: In those instances, perhaps it's really difficult to sort of let them experience failure. But oh, yeah. it is important. I mean, if someone fails like bringing their lunchbox to school every day. Mm-hmm. At some point, the parent should say, well, I'm not going with that lunchbox to school right. anymore. You
0: have to remember it. Yeah. yeah. So- here's, here's, you know, here's a paper bag and you're going to start making your own lunch. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, um,
1: you grew up in a very small town, mm-hmm. Tipton. Missouri, I know nothing about neither Tipton nor Missouri. Right. Could you describe what, what I need to know?
0: Missouri is in the heart of the United States. It it's is, not the southern side of the states, sorry. Well, it's, it, it's part of a very important decision. I think it's called Dred Scott. where Missouri was admitted as a new state to the Union, it was half southern it was half slave half free okay so the the line the missouri, the the mason dixon line cuts through there so part of missouri was free part of missouri was slave okay i think i'm getting it right if i'm not i'm sure you'll get screamed at in your mailbox but it's, it's called the missouri compromise i believe that's what it was yeah so, I would say at this point in, in history, Missouri is a very conservative state. Okay. It's very, uh, most of its population is lives in rural communities. Are they still pro-slavery? <laughs> no. Well, it's been outlawed, of course. Okay. Yeah. But if, if, if some people had the choice in that state, I think some people would be fine with it. Yeah, There's no right. question about that. Okay. All right. So, those that type of stubborn ignorance does exist. All right. Yeah. And now I understand why you wanted to get out. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the most progressive place. All right. So, yeah, small town, small town. You you, you just want people who have ideas, new ideas, fresh ideas, global ideas, always growing. That's not always going to happen in a small town. Yeah. Just because their access to education might be minor or their experience is limited, and so may they cling on to old ideas. You have like five siblings or something. That is correct. I heard you say that you felt different from your family. Yeah. In what way? Well, I was always thinking about different things, new things, other ways of looking at the world. and that wasn't. Yeah, yeah. And that wasn't necessarily the same desire my siblings had. I grew up in a very Catholic family. And I started questioning that around fifth grade when you're studying world civilizations. Mm-hmm. And you start going, wait a minute. The Greeks and Romans believed as fervently as we do in, in their gods, and aren't we kind of doing the same thing? So, you know, by the time I got to college and read Bertrand Russell's Why I'm Not a Christian, I'm like, okay, there we go. Done all with right. that. Do your siblings still live in Missouri? or uh, Yeah, they all live in Kansas City or near there. And my brother lives in the same hometown, and my three sisters live in and around Kansas City, and then my youngest brother lives... About an hour and a half outside of Kansas City. Okay. And you're the only
1: one that's in show business?
0: Correct. My brother, my oldest brother has done some clowning at the local fair.
1: Okay. Good for him, I guess. Yes. N- n- yeah. That's something.
0: Yeah.
1: How come you you became sort of, were you the class clown? Yes. How come you became that person?
0: My guess is because I was the third of six and wanted detention. That's what I think. Did it work out? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, to a degree, you also get into a lot of trouble, but not, not bad. Okay. No one got hurt. This is
1: very, a very superficial question, but when I look at you, mm-hmm. my first reaction isn't that you are going to be a friendly person. Really? Oh, because of my work? No, no, no. Just looking at you. Huh. You sort of, <laughs> you, could be, you
0: could be evil. Oh, wow. that's good, I guess. For me, I could play some villains. Yeah, you um, easily could that's what you see in me in person or when you see me on the screen from seeing you on the screen yeah
1: and okay. you you oftentimes have played
0: douchebags sort yes of. Yeah. oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, oftentimes so, yeah so you also believe there could be a sinister strain i'm not sure yeah i did there's a really cool movie i did called cheap thrills did you see that one? no i read about it dude it's awesome i have to see it it is awesome i will send you a copy it's one of my favorite things i've
2: Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: Done. We shot it in 14 days here in Los Angeles with an amazing cast, Sarah Paxton, Ethan Embry, Pat Healy. It was like doing a play, and it's a really messed up night where... Myself and Sarah play a married couple that challenge these two guys down on their luck to games for money, and they get more and more intense and more and more sinister as the night goes on. But there's also these moments where you you laugh because you have to, because you're making the agreement with these guys as they go on. And it was a really fun movie to yeah. make, and it's really fun to watch people watch it because I've gone to some festivals. But so, yeah, I was able to exercise that sinister strain there. Now, you're saying on the screen you think I might be evil, well, as a person. Well, in person, you think still no, the
1: same. No, no, no. No, okay. I had to reconsider. Ah. Reading up on you and so forth. And also meeting you in person. Mm-hmm. You seem like a really... You don't strike me as you're going to sort of kill
0: me or oh, something no, like that. I'm not, I'm not violent. Yet. Yet. I'm not a sociopath. <laughs> no. If you hurt my family, I would be, you'd be very violent. Okay. I have chased cars down the street oh, that yeah. I felt were going too fast while my children were out front. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a gun at home? No. Okay. And just by as a matter of course, thank you for bringing that up. If your children play at someone else's house, you can just very casually ask, are there guns in your house? You don't say it in a defensive way. It's something you should ask. By the way, do you have guns in your house? I'm making no judgment. I just want to know if you do have guns in your house, where do you keep them? Who has access to them? And that's for your own kids' safety. Of course. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's not something you have to bring up in Sweden. I
0: know. People die every day here at the hand of a gun. Yeah. Could you do something about it? Oh. Boy, it's such a really fucked up issue, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And people cling to it. I don't get it. I don't get I don't know what it would take. I mean, you know, what, twenty Children got killed. That wasn't enough. I don't know. And, you know, maybe Obama's going to, tr- he's, he's said he's tried and has just gotten shut down. Yeah. I like that he's opening up a can of worms every turn here now with immigration and, you know, healthcare looks like it's going to stick around. But, you know, bringing up immigration, I think he should probably, what was it, the the, the Iran, Iranian nuclear deal? I don't know enough about the specifics of it and I should. But it looks like that might work out. Staying out of Syria might be the best solution right now because we don't know who those people are. Who do you back? Mm. There's no one to back. And at some point, these people, we've been fighting there for 20 years, and it's not helping. So I'm not sure, you know, boots on the ground is going to help. So it's probably a positive to stay out of that. But, you know, a lot of these guys are corrupted by the big corporate money, and I don't know how much he is. I think they all are. I don't necessarily think it's a good thing to have the same families back in power, Bush or Clinton. That's probably not a good idea. Let's get some new blood in there. Who's your president then next time? Bernie Sanders. Yeah, that's for me. Yeah, I read up on him
1: yesterday. I've heard that he's gotten some flack for not being enough against the racial issue with uh, after Ferguson.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That he didn't make uh, enough noise about it i guess so yeah well well, you can find anything yeah from what i know about the man i have no doubt that if he decided to focus on race relations in the united states he would have a very positive way of dealing with it Mm. yeah it would probably say yeah it's messed up there's not a person who is of color in the united states who doesn't have doesn't experience some form of racism every day and as a white person you go what are you talking about no, you don't know what I'm talking about because you don't get a look, an extra hello, or an ang- just a, a person projecting their anxiety onto you, you know, that anxiousness. Like, oh, hi. That's enough to go, oh, my God, really? Can't you just be a person? And it's 2015. hmm But we've come a long way. It's not far enough, but, you know, there's too many unarmed black men getting killed, that's for damn sure. Yeah.
1: All right, so Bernie Sanders, it is, and he's the most in the actual race. He's the most left wing guy, or most progressive, yeah. Mm-hmm. So far, is there something about his politics that you don't like?
0: Not so far. Not that I've noticed so far.
1: All right. Did you take the first chance to get out of Missouri? Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah I sure did. I went to uh, I. Uh, my folks gave me one choice for school. There was a, a, a Catholic school in Atchison, Kansas called Benedictine, and my mother's siblings had gone there. My mother's brother, my uncle, was the abbot of the monastery that was associated with the college, so that was it. Okay. If I wanted to go to college, you have to go two years to Benedictine, and then you could go somewhere else. So I went two years to Benedictine, and then I went to the University of Missouri for a little while.
1: And you're, you major
0: in something strange,
1: in politics. Po- political science, yeah. Yeah,
0: okay. Why was that? I had always loved politics, and I thought that could be a career. I really earnestly believed in a naive way that I could really help people. I didn't know how the political machines operated. Did you want, want to become a politician? Yeah. Yes, I didn't realize how things really operated. To be a, a, a successful politician, you had to be either a, extremely wealthy or very connected, or you have to be the smartest person in any room you walk into. I was not any one of those things. Mm-hmm. So I could have been a capable aide or something like that. But I realized, like, I didn't, you know, in poli-sci, you're either going to become a lawyer or you're going to teach, basically. Yeah. Or you're going to try and become some type of scholar. And that wasn't what I wanted to do. And um, by my third year, I started getting into the legislative classes, and I thought they were really boring. I'm like, this isn't what this isn't where my passion lies. And then I visited a friend in Chicago and saw that Second City taught classes. And at that point, I'd always, I think I'd always wanted to be an actor, but I'd never met one. Didn't know anything about how, that, how a person becomes that thing. No. You know, for political science, I thought, well, there's a, a course of study. And so that's why I pursued it. Had I met an actor or thought, you know, go theater program, I probably would have done that. Yeah. I've been looking back. I would rather have been history English and communications major, yeah. Did you waste time? Well, yeah. I mean, certainly. But, I mean. It could have been used better, but it's all, it's supposed to happen that way to inform you to become what you are. Exactly. I yeah. mean, youth is all about yeah. waste. Youth is wasted on the youth. Yes, my, but my greatest growth was when I moved to Chicago and met a group of incredible individuals that became my closest friends and mentors and teachers and peers at the same time mm. and went through those were my transformative years if you will i moved there when i was 24 so 24 through when i left chicago i was 32 i think greatest years yeah greatest
1: i just interviewed jeff garland uh-huh. uh, did you go
0: uh, at the same time yes we were around the same okay. uh, era yeah 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 i tried to
1: Have him explain how Second City could be such a uh, star factory. But Mm
0: -hmm. I I didn't really get it. Could you uh, try? It changes. Every once in a while, it's like it's cyclical. You'll have these groups of people come through that happen to be on those stages, and there are several at the same time. And I believe that informs that body politic of those people at that time, and they get it to a degree that they're able to use that that skill and knowledge and and the talent that they already had to move upward. It's happened several times. When you look at the era of SCTV, the same time the people came out of, of Chicago doing the first Saturday Night Live, when I happened to be there, it was during this like nine-year confluence of talent that was incredible, from Jeff Garland to Chris Farley to Mike Myers to Steve Colbert to Steve Carell, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, Adam McKay, Brian Stack, who's written on Conan for 17 years, Kevin Dorff, who's written on Conan for 12 years, John Glazer, who everybody knows from Conan, and Delocated and a bunch of stuff like that. Andy Richter was there at the time. Rachel Dratch, Rachel Sands, I said them. I'm sure I'm missing some people. Garland. I mean, it goes on and on and on. These just happened to be the people that were there. We're not Neil Flynn. I just wanted to mention all my guys that I do this improv work with, uh, Pat Finn mike coleman pete holney paul valancourt did i miss anyone probably tom purcell was one of my close mates he's the head writer for colbert it was an amazing confluence of talent so that happens and through all of that sharing we're not constantly together but we're in the same arena at the same time on different stages and there's a recognition of of who's good and you just gravitate toward that and you end up playing together on, on a bunch of different ways. Yeah. And I think you inform each other in a, in a certain way and you all move on to greater things. Well, no one could have pr- looked at that group at that time and go, this one, this one, this one. You don't, you don't know. And then it's whatever drive and, and, and uh, tenacity you have beyond that to get you where you want to go. How long were you there for? I think it was, I think it was in Chicago for nine years. Doing the Second City all along? I, the first year there, I just worked to save money to take classes. And then from then on, I was always. Oh, you've read the book Outliers. Yeah, I Label? think so. Yeah. yeah. About the 10,000 hours theory. Yeah, 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 That was it. I was there. I was fortunate to get in class at the Improv Olympic at the I.O. and then at Second City at the same time. So I had, you know, three or four hours of class time, four or five hours of class time every week. Then joined another group called Metroform that McNapier was developing. So there's more class time then took another independent study class with another coach, and then we'd have shows on the weekend. So you're on stage a lot, all week long, Mm. every week. And that's just the way to do it. And Second you guys went on tour as well, right? Yeah, eventually they hired me to be in the touring company. That's one component of their business. They have three touring companies. So if you're lucky enough to get into a touring company, you can make a sustaining wage. And then eventually you hope to get... Asked to be one of the resident companies. There used to be three. There was one at Northwest, one called ETC in the main stage. And so I was able to get on one of those stages. And then from there, I went on to Saturday Night Live. Mm. When you're on tour, what do you perform? Oh, you do old sketches. Okay. You do stuff from the Second City canon. All right. Greatest hits.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You went sort of. Straight from there to SNL. Yeah. You only got one year. Yeah. I heard you talking on Mark Maron about your time there. First off, it must have been great. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. I couldn't believe it, I, but I could.
0: Yeah. Like, here we are. Okay, great. Awesome. And then one year in, you get fired. Devastating. Yeah. But my, as they say, my contract wasn't renewed. No. I wasn't fired. No, okay, sorry. They just didn't bring me back. I'd had an incredible first year. I was very stubborn with some people, and I think those people were small enough to go, I don't like that get rid of him. Mm. It's too bad. I had a great year and I would have been I would have had a very successful run at SNL. But politics played a part of it as well. Some West Coast executives for whatever reason didn't take a liking to whatever I was doing and uh there's at least one executive on the show who I had upset and I think he lobbied for me to go cuz I kind of let him know that I thought he was a bit of a fraud. And All that right. certainly is not a smart diplomatic. I didn't play the politics very well there, did I? Okay. No. Yeah, yeah. But are you bitter about that? Oh, for a little while I was. But six months later, I met my wife. You know, so that's the way it was supposed to go. And bitterness is a choice. I could still be bitter about it if I wanted to, but who cares? It wouldn't have been serving your purpose No, no. Well. In, in fact, I moved out here to Los Angeles and started taking acting classes for two and a half years. Even more classes? Yeah, yeah. But only acting, not not improv and okay. sketch. Act, regular straight acting classes. Yeah. And I had studied before in New York and somewhat in Chicago too, but I decided to focus more here, which certainly has helped inform me. But how did you come back after such a blow? Well, you just keep moving. You know, it hurts like hell, but just keep moving. Yeah. And you do a lot of blow. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to get all the secrets, aren't you? Uh, You know, I I partied pretty hard when I got to town, but then met my wife and, you know, kind of straightened up. And uh, we had a lot of fun together, too. But then I was taking classes, and I was very fortunate that I got work right away out in L.A. Yeah. Yeah. I've
1: always worked. You also said that you started drinking in Chicago. Yeah. Would you say that you have an addictive personality? Yes. Do you self-medicate?
0: Oh, not all the time. The only thing I have now is booze. Occasionally, I'll you know take a toke or something. But what's that? Oh, weed. Oh, all right. Yeah, but I don't. I don't keep it. Do you have a prescription? No. no. Okay. No. You are a character actor, right? Mm-hmm. Is that a good thing to be? It works for me. You can be whatever you want. I've never said I want to be a character actor. I I'm an actor. Yeah. I want to work. That's all I care about. Yeah. If I want more, I can get more. I can create more. If I want to sharpen one type of instrument and make it dig down one showbiz hole, I can do that. It all depends on how much, how hard you want to work. Back to the 750 words you write. I mean,
1: is that sometimes like a script?
0: No, not yet. Okay. I've only started doing it for the last month. Okay. I read an article somewhere and someone said, he starts his day with 750 words just to get out of his head, and I thought, that's perfect. It sounded great. It is, and I, here's what I find. At the end of your 750 words, you'll usually get three or four words that keep coming up within that, and then you can use it for you. It's kind of like your talisman for the day. It's
1: super interesting. I have to try that.
0: Yeah. I'm wondering, it seems like actors
1: want to have an outlet that's sort of their own. Because actors, <laughs> and
0: they depend on groups all the time, or right. executives, or... How are you with that? Do... That's I started doing stand-up five years ago. Yeah. And that's what gives me my own personal outlet. I will always have a job. Yeah, that's if fantastic. If I need a job, I can get one.
1: Because I thought we would talk about that as well. And you're sort of a late
0: bloomer there. Yeah, I, was, I started in improv and sketch, and it uh, had a very successful a stage show in town called the Naked Trucker and T-Bones show yeah. that nearly made it, and we got it to television, and then it just, there was a lot of factors in the demise of that show. But as my wife says, you're the executive producer, you can't blame anybody, which is true. Mm. But um, that was too bad. Then you're kind of left going, oh, what's next? And you'd maybe do some more improv, or you'd get, you know, some movies. And you you know, you don't you want to work as hard as you have to, yeah. but, but not too hard. Mm. So... I've been very fortunate, but then, you know, you kind of realize, like, I, I need to not be relying on somebody else to give me a job. And I can create a job for myself by doing stand-up. And I just asked my one of my agents, I said, can you get me on the road? Because I've always done live. I mean, I've done live stuff for 30 years. So for me, it's the difference between you and I being on stage in a scene and just me having that same relationship with, one, with the audience is one-on-one, you know? So that's the only difference, really. So as a live performer, I think, you know, even though I started doing stand-up late, and my, I'm sure my first shows were a bit rambly and less cohesive, but I think entertaining. Yeah. And I get better every time I'm on stage and uh, hope to shoot a special soon.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And as far as the material, uh, how much did you have when you started?
0: An hour. An hour? Well, yeah, yeah, you put together. I've always done character pieces, so yeah. the first... First show I did was more almost a one man show yeah. that didn't have a story linking it together. It was a bunch of different characters. But that's fantastic. Yeah, I I, I dug it. I was having fun, and I know the audience was having fun. Plus, they recognized me for the movies. I would add those lines to the movies, you know, because I know that's why they came. They didn't know me for anything else. No. Let me hear a whammy. I'll give them one. I don't care. Not here in town, but if you're out on the road, that's why they're there. Yeah, of course. So, you know, I'm going to share with them what they came to hear. And then you you keep finding more and more stuff on stage all the time, and that's how my improv background has certainly served me, because you find things all the time. I found, I did shows this weekend, sort them all out in... In San Diego, and I found new stuff all weekend. You play with it this way, you change it just a little bit, and you go, oh, this fits over here, and this, oh, here's a beginning of this thing, and that other thing you used to do over at the top of the show, now you should put it with that piece at the bottom of the show, and now that whole thing's a, a nice chunk that fits nicely thematically into the next thing. So you, you keep finding that stuff. Does it happen that you're bored with your own material? Sometimes, yes. If there's old pieces I've done... That even if they work, I feel like, uh, I'd, I'm, not, I'm not digging this so much. But then you can get rid of them. If they're not killing it, you get rid of them. Yeah. If it kills, you keep it. Yeah. If it's just okay, you're like, okay, I know I'm cheating. Here's just two minutes of talk. So you get rid of it.
1: What do you consider being your first ever pure stand-up joke on stage? I mean, you've been funny... And you've stood up and been funny since the 90s, but um, I mean.
0: Yeah. First stand up joke? Like just set a punchline? Yeah, I guess. Okay, here's I, maybe I, this is the one I'm thinking of. People often ask me, people say that children teach you things about yourself that you didn't know before you had them. What have your children taught you about yourself, Dave? And here's what I've learned I fucking hate kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> it's so stupid. It makes you laugh. That's the best. Right. And yeah. there's a lot of people in the audience that have children, and they know it's not true, but there are times that you're very frustrated to the point of like, oh, I hate this situation. I yeah, mean. of course. You don't hate the children, but, you know, stuff like that. I guess that's what's one.
1: Yeah, but that's fine. Uh, I, I want to talk about characters as well. Okay. I mean, I'm trying to make every interview original, but this might be the most... Perhaps unoriginal question, but how do you develop a, a character? Would you uh, say
0: there's a lot of different ways. If I see a person with a certain behavior, I will take that and exaggerate it, and try to internalize it and live the world through that person. I'm talking about comedic characters I've developed. Let's yeah. say yeah. that's from my own, like on stage, or I will watch you know like guys interact a certain way and see their mannerisms, and I I, I try to adapt their physicality. Or just culturally, if stuff I find frustrating, I oftentimes like to turn into a character. Or or just little oddities that people do, I like to explore that and and explode it into a character. But when it comes to a movie or something like that, you you just got to take the information from the script and kind of see what kind of life they're living Mm. or running from or hiding from or trying to push forward and then bring that to life. Do you do uh, auditions still? Oh, yeah. Do you like it? Well, it's part of my job. I'm a traveling salesman. If they don't know me or trust me well enough to think I can do the job, then I have to go in. Mm. I've decided there's certain people I won't audition for anymore. I'm not going to tell you who that is. Why not? There's Because there's certain <laughs> projects I realize, like, if I really, really, really don't want to do it, just don't go in. And that's what the freedom of stand-up does. Like, I can go make money. I don't have to do this piece of shit. And I've done plenty of shit. Is that why you sort of do it? Is it because it gives you freedom? It does. And it's a business I can build. You know, if you give it attention, it'll grow. And so you can get to that point where that business is really working. Yeah, it's fantastic. And so you're just dependent on yourself.
1: When I started doing stand-up, I was sort of afraid of having to hang out with other stand-up comedians. Because I didn't find the stand-up comedians in Sweden very funny. Uh And they turned out to be the most fantastic people. Oh,
0: good. Yeah, but how do you like that society? I, I love them. I, I just, you know, I make the decision. I like I like the, the, the I, they're by peers. So there's, I enjoy that they're going through the same process that I'm going through. And there's different ones you enjoy for different reasons. But especially in Los Angeles right now, I feel there's a lot of camaraderie. I'm sure in years past, there have been a lot of different factions or people who don't like you or don't like this. But as my wife says, if someone doesn't like you... That means they don't like something about themselves, and mm. so they're just projecting that on you. So, you know, I, you, we can't take on other people's hurt or anger or pain. It's like, well, okay, you don't like it? Good. Who do you laugh the hardest with? Right now? Yeah. Like, what, comics? Yeah. Bill Burr, amazing. Dana Gould. Yes. Patton Oswald, Louis C.K. Harlan Williams. God, I love Harlan. I haven't heard of him. Oh, I love him so much. Have to check that out. Jay Moore is very funny. Norm MacDonald. Kevin Nealon. Would you like to play more likable dudes? I don't care. I don't make that part of like, I don't care. No? No. I would assume that it's very, very fun to
1: play a jerk like Bob Packer.
0: Right. I mean, I can't say those things to people in life. He's an awful man. He's an awful man. Champ Kind is an awful man. I can say despicable things. Yeah. You can't ever say that. (laughs) So, yeah, in that regard, that's incredibly fun. Nice guys are just kind of milk toasty, right? One of the most interesting nice guys I played that was really annoying, though, but he didn't know it, was Nathan on this movie called Extract with Mike Judge. And that was so much fun. It's one of my favorite things to do because it was just endlessly, relentlessly boring. That's what he was going to do. But he was also so selfish that he was going to get what he wanted. Mm. He couldn't understand. He didn't have a social filter and he didn't understand why these people weren't yielding to his desires.
1: You've also worked with another guest of mine in, in the Swedish podcast, Jonas Åkerlund. Uh,
0: oh, I love him. Yeah. Yeah. I love his style, man. So cool. And what a great guy. And what yeah. a great movie that was. Some, yeah. Small Apartments. Small Apartments. I loved it. I love Spun. and didn't see that. I actually. was blown away. I'm like, what is this? You My can't God. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. So I thought, wow, how much fun. And that cast was crazy. Yeah. We shot in some burned out shithole apartment complex. It, was, it looked like a bomb had gone off nearby. It was, it was yeah. nutty. <laughs> yeah. But beautiful. Yeah. Can you tell me about the uh, upcoming projects you have? Yes, I have several Let's see. One of them is Helen Back. I don't it's an animated feature. I don't know when it's going to be released. Well, the ones I do know October, that will be released. I think. October. Is it yeah. great? Well, then I'll have another one. Because in October also, uh, there's Scouts versus the Zombie Apocalypse, a Paramount Pictures movie that'll be coming out right around Halloween. That's a fun zombie romp. It's raunchy and funny. And then in Christmas is a movie, uh, December 4th is a movie called Krampus. Yeah. You're probably aware uh, of Krampus? No. No. Wow, okay. It's It's a a Germanic tale about a a devil-like goat creature, spirit, if you will, that is the opposite of Santa Claus. So if you lose your spirit, you you lose your your belief, then Krampus comes called. Or if you've been bad, Krampus will come after you. Okay, So two families get together for Christmas that don't particularly like each other. They're just families. So that, you know, the the... The adults don't like each other. The cousins don't like each other. One boy stops believing, and then Krampus descends upon the town with his minions and creates havoc. All right. Yeah, it's so much fun. And you're on tour. And I'm on tour. Somewhere new you. What do I have coming up? Well, I'll be in Cincinnati and Indianapolis and Austin and, and Portland. All over the place. In the fall, yeah. When are you coming overseas? Hey, if I know I can go overseas, I will. If I knew I could fill... Rooms overseas, I would absolutely do that. I'll you, uh, shake some trees. There you
1: go. Would you like to recommend something?
0: I'll recommend to you The War of Art. Have you ever read that one or listened to it on audiobooks? The 2. No. Wa- no, no, no. That's The Art of War. Yeah, okay. The War of Art. All right. Like it's Pressman. Fantastic. All right. And I'll recommend Cheap Thrills, the movie I'm in, which yep. I love so yep. much. And uh, watch The Singularity. No, no, Transcendent Man. Uh, Ray Kurzweil wrote The Singularity, but it's a f- you'll you'll be fascinated with. It. It's about the future of a man and technology merging. It should be available on iTunes or Netflix or something. Perfect. Transcendent Man.
1: Thank you. And who do you think I should interview?
0: Adam McKay. Thank you so much for your time, sir. All right, a pleasure.
1: David Keckner, a very busy man with five children. It's hard not to be impressed by his ambitions. I really love this guy. You can reach him on Twitter where his name is David Keckner in one word. This episode was edited by Lovisa Olsson and technical as well as editorial help came from Thomas Kullshage. My LA crew was 16 mile talent, and uh, this is Christoph Triumph saying thanks for now. Bye bye. Hello.
2: Market. Market.